It's a pleasure to welcome as our speaker this morning and Friday morning, Dr. Dallas Willard, professor in the School of Philosophy at the University of Southern California. Dr. Willard has been on our campus a number of times over the past years for meetings of Christian scholars in philosophy. I know for a national meeting of college admissions officers as well as speaking in our chapel. And in each visit, he's made a significant contribution. I know he has to me personally, as well as to us as an entire college community. Dr. Willard is nationally known, a, a truly distinguished philosopher. He's published a respected book in his discipline and numerous professional articles, mainly in the areas of epistemology, the philosophy of mind, and of logic. He's respected for his clarity of thinking and for his contribution to the discipline of philosophy. In recent years, he's actually served as the director of the School of Philosophy at USC. But in addition, he's made a significant contribution to the Christian Church as well. He's an ordained minister, and he's written and spoken frequently on matters related to the nature of our growth and pilgrimage as individual Christians and as members together of the body of Christ. His most recent books, The Spirit of the Disciplines and The Divine Conspiracy, are powerful statements about the way we live here on earth, not just our hope of eternal salvation. And this combination of scholarship and pastoral concerns matches our distinctive values here at Westmont College. And so we appreciate his message and approach, his modeling of what, in a sense, we want from each one of us who is part of the Westmont community. So please join me in welcoming back to Westmont Dr. Dallas Willard. Dr. Willard. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be back here again and have an opportunity to speak with all of you. Just one problem. Technology, I'll look it up. Thank you. Now I will speak to you better. Thank you very much for to have an opportunity to see many of you again, and for the first time also to meet some of you who are fellow soldiers in the Army of the Lord. Um, the music is so impressive, uh, so beautiful, and to, uh, to come here and hear genuine worship expressed by a university community is a great blessing in its own self. I, we have music at USC, but you don't want to hear about it. It's, uh, <laughs> the main thing that stands out about it is it's so loud, you know. They have these banks of speakers, and they just blow your ears off, so you try to walk a block around it. I, I won't start in on the content. <laughs> but it's wonderful to be here, and also, of course, to hear Diane again and be blessed by her leadership and and this wonderful choir. I, well, Jane and I were actually, we came through uh, Christian schools, and we were a part of this, and it formed so much of our lives, and, and we're so grateful for it. Now, this morning and Friday morning, I want to talk to you on the general theme of discipleship to Jesus in the arts and sciences. If you would like uh, the title, Jesus, Master of the Arts and Sciences. Jesus, Master of the Arts of Sci and Sciences. 
And uh, I will try this morning to address what I see to be a really difficult problem for us, whether we're in a Christian school or what is called a secular school, and uh, try to make clear uh, what the challenge is to those of us who live as Christians uh, in this world of the mind and the arts, the intellect. Uh, it is the source of authority in our culture. It has tremendously significant bearings on everything that happens. And uh, uh, to try to understand the movement of the Spirit of God and the place of the truth of Christianity in this context and, and how we live it, I am constantly amazed at the misunderstandings and problems that people have in a, in a setting such as ours. I spoke a couple of days ago at on the USC campus for the uh, essentially for Campus Crusade, its leadership ministry. And one person on the USC faculty uh, who was there, a Christian, uh, spoke out and gave the impression somehow being a Christian on that campus uh, is a violation of church and state. And you sometimes just bow your head and wonder if we aren't suffering from a separation of mind from reality or something uh, because it just gets so confused and the lines are so confused. So I want to try to do some things this morning that will help us see the issues and begin to move us towards some of the answers and then uh, Friday I want to talk more personally to each one of us about how we might uh, approach this issue of discipleship to Jesus in the arts and sciences. Let me begin by just giving you two verses, one from the Old Testament. You know both of these. Probably you have memorized them, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't put your confidence in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now that means in the arts and sciences, doesn't it? It means that when we are working at the things we work at here as teachers, as students, as researchers, as administrative leaders, that that is an area in which we want to acknowledge God. And we need to talk about how you do that. And let me put that verse together now with one from Paul in Colossians 3.17. Again, I hope you have this memorized. Paul there says, Whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now, all is a very inclusive term, isn't it? It really doesn't leave much out. Uh, some of you probably have an assignment that's due today or tomorrow or the next day. You have term papers to write. Uh, perhaps if you're a professor, you may have a research program that you're trying to get going or financed or, uh, uh, or perhaps setting up courses or working with students in other ways. And all of those matters fall under the verses that we've quoted now from the Old Testament. In all your ways acknowledge him. How many does that leave out? None. Whatsoever you do in word or deed doesn't leave anything out. Now, 
That's the challenge. And the first thing I want to say for us today is that this is not an additional job. It isn't something extra. Like you have all the things you have to do and then you have to do this too. And uh, so it's more work. Uh, it's very important to understand that these verses represent the gospel of the kingdom of God. They represent the invitation to take our whole life into the kingdom of God and learn how to live the life that God has given us in the power of God. So that when I, when I take all of my activities and I undertake them, I am not doing that on my own. I am doing that in confidence, vision, expectation, in the spirit and character of Christ. So if I'm writing a paper or uh, preparing for a conference or outlining, outlining a course, and that, that happens to be one of the things that I most pray about and intensely seek the guidance of God in doing is setting up courses. And uh, when I do that, then I don't do that just looking to myself. I do that in expectation that God will act with me. And the gospel of the kingdom of God which Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is precisely the good news that in everything that I am and that I do, God invites me to invite him to be my co-worker. He invites me to uh, look to him to act and move in tangible ways in what I'm doing, no matter what it is. So you, so you go back to that verse in Proverbs. In all your ways acknowledge him. What does that mean? That means that we recognize he is there. And we acknowledge his priority in what we're doing. So that when I set up a course or when I undertake to uh, translate something from German into English or whatever it is I'm doing, writing a paper, uh, composing a book, uh, I expect God to direct me. I expect there to be a movement in my life that is more than me. Now that won't happen if I don't acknowledge him. I have to acknowledge him. I have to recognize him. Again, take the verse in Colossians 3.17. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of. What does that mean, do it in the name of? Say the name as I do it? No, it means that I do it on behalf of him. I do it in place of him. So that when I walk into a room to uh, give a lecture, I say to myself, how would Jesus do this? And I do it on his behalf. Everything on his behalf. Now then, of course, discipleship means that we have to learn how to do that. And it takes a lot of learning, and you actually never get done learning. Because you're always learning how to grow and grow and grow and more. More and more and more and more. In the place you're given. So that increasing, you're, you're able to do that. You're able to acknowledge him in all your ways. You're able to do everything that you do in word or deed on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as you do that, among other things, your fear and anxiety disappears because you're not out there on the limb by yourself. You are actually watching God in action in your life, and you accept that. 
and you stop second-guessing yourself and uh, lambasting yourself because you didn't do it right and so on, because you now have heard the gospel that you are accepted of God where you are. He put you there. It was not an accident. You are there where you are in your world to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And it is God who makes that possible. You accept the fact that you're finite, that you make mistakes, that you're not perfect. And in so doing, you get on with the work that God has appointed to flow through your life as you become the person he intended you to be. God has very high aims for you and me. His aim is that each one of us would become the kind of person that he could empower to do what we want. I'm going to say that again. You and I are being trained and cultivated and grown to the point where God can empower us to do what we want. Now, you recognize that a lot of work has to be done on our wanter before that can happen. But that's what life is about. And that's what we're learning to do as disciples of Jesus Christ. And it's extremely important for us to understand what our challenges are, especially in the context where we live. A young man came into my office yesterday. He's, he's uh, in, a, in a Ph.D. program over in the School of Education. And he's been sort of watching me for several years. Uh, uh, some students, they begin to pick up on what I say and what I do and so on, and they sort of begin to circle, you know, like you send, if you're going to land on the Mars, you sort of circle it a few times <laughs> before you land, and maybe you don't land. Uh, and uh, so he's one who's been doing this, and uh, slowly, piece by piece, his own story comes out. And a great deal of it came out yesterday for some reason. I think he'd actually gotten hold of this recent book on the divine conspiracy and was reading it. And that sort of made him want to say more. Among other things, it turned out that he was uh, an ex-Campus Crusade person. Um, he had been two years in a Christian school in Beijing teaching English as a way of reaching out uh, as a Christian to others. But as he spoke... He finally said to me, what I discovered was that my religion was not who I am. My religion was not who I am. Now, this fellow had actually been around some very significant people, like you, many of you will perhaps know the name Norman Grubb, uh, a very outstanding writer and Christian, and he had been personally in contact with him. But somehow he had not been able to bridge the gap between his faith and his life. And his identity did not go on the side of his faith in Christ. That is the problem, is how to take who we are and bring it into congruity under God's grace and leadership and his guidance uh, so that who we are is really Christ's person. That's who I am in this world. I am Christ's person. And whatever I do, it is because I am Christ's person. And that enables me to have a place to stand, whatever the context, whether it's in my family, 
or in my community or in my work uh, at the university or writing and so on, I have that place to stand. I know who I am. And who I am is congruent with the call of Christ on my life. Now, one of the things that puzzled this young man was how I could be a Christian and say what I do and be a philosopher. And he would, uh, he would occasionally just sort of put his hands on his head and say, my mind just can't take this in. That is an expression of the problem we face. Uh, as uh, disciples of Jesus in the arts and sciences. Um, our identity as scholars often has no connection with our faith in Christ. Let me put it to you this way. In all fields of competence today, there is no requirement that one have a knowledge of God. In all fields of competence today, there is no requirement that one have a knowledge of God. Now, some people say, what about the ministry? Well, it's true that in some places the ministry does require knowledge of God. But you might be surprised to know that there are theological schools in this country that actually will train atheists for the ministry. And you might be surprised to know that there's a tremendous tendency even in religious studies to drop the supernatural from the scholarly side of the work. I want to give you a quotation here that I pulled out of the Daily News over in the valley here a few, uh, well, a weekend ago. And this is a discussion about the Dead Sea Scrolls. And uh, there's a fascinating statement here. Modern scholarship removes religious belief from the realm of immutable, divinely inspired truth and puts it into the terrain of man-made history. In case you didn't get the significance of that, let me read it again. Modern scholarship removes religious belief from the realm of immutable, divinely inspired truth and puts it into the terrain of man-made history. That is to say, it requires that religion itself be explained strictly in human terms. And if you want to uh, have a lovely illustration of that, if you saw the four-hour program on PBS over Easter called From Jesus to Christ, and you look at the kinds of explanations that are given, you will recognize the truth of exactly what that said. But see, that's true in general. For all of the areas, God is irrelevant. God is irrelevant. So then the question is, how can you be a disciple of Jesus? How can you be a disciple of Jesus if God is irrelevant to what you're doing as a scholar or as an artist? How does that work? And the answer is with great difficulty. In fact, probably it is impossible. How can we bring our faith in Christ into our subject matters? Is there such a thing as Christian chemistry? Or Christian algebra? Or Christian higher criticism? See, those questions begin to press on us because 
if we don't have some sense of relevance of the knowledge of God to our subject matter, what does discipleship mean? Now, you all have fields of study that you're in. Some of these you are maybe going to take one course in them. Uh, some other you're going to major in them. Some other you're going to give your life to. Music. One of the arts. Or painting. Or dance. Or opera singing. Or whatever you know. Uh, that's all of these fields in the arts. Then there are the professional fields. Medicine. Engineering. And so on. All of them offer that same challenge. Now, what, I'm, what I want to just go back and stress here is the challenge is the irrelevance of the subject matter as commonly understood to our faith in Christ. So you're going to be writing a paper on Chaucer, shall we say, for your final term here. How does that come together with the Apostles' Creed. What does chemistry have to do with uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead? And if the answer in all of these cases is nothing, then we are left with a disconnection between our work as intellectuals and our discipleship to Christ. Recently, a nice piece by Joel Belts appeared in World Magazine, and it was entitled Stimming the Drift. It's about Christian universities, and um, it features a discussion by Galen Biker, who is president at Calvin College. And Biker talks about how securing faculty for programs in the various fields uh, is uh, so very difficult in a Christian context. He's, uh, the question arises, is it really important that a math professor hold to this school's theological position? Um, he goes on to say um, that the problem of integrating biblical truth with the particular areas uh, is the one that faces the administrator. Uh, are we content to relegate the subjects to experts who profess fewer and fewer of the doctrinal and theological distinctives of the school? Now, here's his quote. It is hard to justify hiring a third-rate Christian when you can get a first-rate non-Christian. Why is a Christian professor better than a non-Christian professor? I'm trying to face you brutally with an issue here. I know your president and the faculty and everyone struggles with. Let me surprise you with the suggestion that a Christian professor is not a better professor just because they pray before class or have a better moral character. A Christian professor is a better professor because they understand their subject matter better. They understand their subject matter better 
because they are able to put it in relationship to God. Now, just pause a moment. That's scary to claim that, isn't it? You mean to say that a Christian mathematician is as such, everything else being equal, better as a mathematician than a non-Christian? You mean that a Christian choir leader or, mu- or musician or artist is better? For the sake of challenging you, I want you to understand that point above everything else that I'm saying this morning. And if you get that point, then I think a basis will be laid for us thinking in a different way about discipleship to Jesus. We have a hard time with this. Let me put it to you this way. If you, if you ask who is the smartest person in the world, the first person that will come to mind will not be Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? I mean, try it out. But now that I've said it, what would you say in response to the question, who is the smartest person in the world? You'd say Jesus Christ, wouldn't you? Right? Wrong? (laughs) Where are we here? (laughs) Why? You see, now, because you've thought about it. And you may remember things like in Colossians 2, 3, it says, In Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, that was the faith of the Christian church. The Christian church created an intellectual culture that stood as knowledge for almost 2,000 years. And it's only in the last century that it has ceased to have that standing. And that was understood because Jesus was regarded as the smartest man in the world. Bill Gates doesn't stand a chance. Einstein down at our place, we recently had someone in the chemistry department that got a Nobel Prize for making molecules a little slicker. <laughs> Don't you imagine Jesus gets a kick out of whom we give Nobel Prizes to? You think of what he could do, of what he did. He could produce matter out of thin air. He could suspend gravity. Most importantly, he understood how to take a wicked person and turn them into a good person. Shall I say that we are still working on that one? You see, we have to rethink how we think about Jesus. Jesus is the master of your field. If you are in the field of economics or biblical criticism, or or mathematics, or philosophy, or any of it. He is the master of that field. And we have to begin to think about that way. Now see, Mr. Belts, in the article that I was just referring to about the problem with getting a Christian faculty, says something that is typical, and if I may say so, typically wrong. How do you deal with this issue of having faculty people uh, who are real Christians and also work in their fields? 
And his answer is you take a very high view of scriptural or biblical authority. A moment of quietness. Because I said that's wrong. It is, is it wrong to take a high view of biblical? Not at all. What is wrong is supposing that that will solve the problem. Instead, what you have to do is to take a high view of the Christian intellect in relationship to faith. You have to believe that the Christian tradition is a tradition of knowledge. It is a tradition of competence about reality. And as long as we divide our lives up so that the world of intellect and art is over here and we try to oppose that with simply an authoritative Bible, that will not solve the problem of discipleship in the arts and the sciences. We have to understand that these two are not separate, that they come together, that in fact the teaching of the scripture about reality is an accurate presentation of what reality is like. And non-dogmatically, courageously, in the power of God, we have to go into our work as Christians to use the language of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, I think it is, 1 Corinthians 10.5, we must go in to bring every thought in subjection to Jesus Christ. Not by ranting and raving, but by doing better work than those who are not Christians. Doing better work because we have learned how to work with God where we are in our work. Now, I want to leave that with you. I think that's enough for one time. And then next time, I want to talk more about practically about how we might do that. May the God of the Scripture and the God of reality give us courage and grace to open our hearts and minds and follow Jesus Christ fully into the most important area of life in the contemporary world. Thank you very much.